Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. I get to see everybody here. God bless you. God bless you. Okay, good. I just got back from vacation for a week with the family, and uh, it was a good time. But now we're back. We're going to continue our series on Joseph. And uh, we have this week, and then we have two more weeks of Joseph's life. Have you enjoyed Joseph's life at all? You know, when life gives you lemons, and, you know, we're in this phase now where uh, Joseph has, his life is now turned. It's, it's going good now. It was miserable there for 13 years. But now his life is turned. And today I want to talk to you about how to be wise with what we've been given. And uh, we're going to, and I'm going to try my best to pull from Joseph's life to give you three areas of wisdom um, from his life. Uh, nothing that I've come up with, it's, it's in the scriptures here. And, and I want to get to it quick because I do have a lot of ground to cover, if that's okay, within three points. But I want to make sure we understand that at this point now, Joseph has interpreted the dream. Um, he is now the prime minister of Egypt, second in command only to Pharaoh. He has possessions, he has power, he has position, he has a wife, he has children. Life has turned itself around. And so it's, it's really, really good for Joseph so far. And there's three areas that I can see in chapter 41 that mostly we're going to cover here of Joseph's life that I think relates to every one of us, and that is we need to be wise with our possessions. Amen? We need to be wise with raising our children, correct? Yeah, and we need to be wise with third, and that is our heart. I've got to be wise with my heart because my heart can get very, um, it become hard. It can be uh, very, it can be seared. My conscience can be seared. So these three areas right there, and I hope there's something in there that I say can help us because the wisdom of these three areas is important because Today is not always today. Today turns into what? Tomorrow. And we want to we practice wisdom today in these areas so that tomorrow is much better. Or it's the tomorrow, hopefully, that we're looking for in our life. Because every one of us in this room, we want a better tomorrow. Amen? And as I like to say, young people, I was 21 at one time. And then I blinked. And now I'm in my 60s. Can anyone relate? Yeah. I was young one time. And then I blinked my eyes. And I woke up, and I'm a semi-older guy now, okay? I won't say an old guy. I'll just say semi-older, okay? So I'm going to give you three areas from here. And the first one, three points, number one is this. Be wise with what you possess. Be wise with what you possess. Now, In Genesis 41, I'm going to read 45 through 49. Now watch this. This is Joseph now. Life is good. It's turned around. Then Pharaoh named Joseph Zaphonath Penea. Say that with me. Zaphonath. Don't you feel better now already saying that word? And by the way, that's where Panera bread came from? No, I'm just joking. (laughs) It didn't come from there. And he gave him Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On as his wife. How would you like to induce your wife that way? And Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. In other words, he's in power over everything. And he's got a wife. Now notice verse 46. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. Question, how old is Joseph when he becomes prime minister and begins administrating all of Egypt? How old? 30. That's another typology of Jesus Christ, meaning he's like Jesus in that sense. Jesus begins his public ministry around what age? 30. Joseph begins his public ministry around what age? 30. So you see the typology right there. Verse uh, 47. During the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. So he gathered all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and placed food in the cities. He placed in every city the food from its own surrounding field. Verse 49. Thus Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he stopped measuring it. There's so much grain stored up, he can't even count it anymore. 
You can't measure it anymore. For it was beyond measure. Now, think of where this has come from. Joseph interprets the dream of Pharaoh. Remember the seven years, the interpretation is there'll be seven years of great abundance, great economic upturn in the nation of Egypt. But it's going to be followed by seven years of famine. It's going to be bad. In fact, not only bad, it's going to be really, really bad. As Joseph interprets the dream, then jo- and Joseph, remember, is an inmate. He's incarcerated over something he never did. But he interprets the dream. Then he tells Pharaoh, Pharaoh, here's what you got to do, Pharaoh. This is an inmate telling Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, is an inmate. He said, there's what you got to do if you want to ensure the future of the land. Now, we covered this, previous pastors here covered this. Do you remember, think now, do you remember the advice as far as what percentage or what fraction of what comes in should Pharaoh put away of the total amount every year? Anybody remember? Come on, guys, help me out. I'm teaching up here, okay? 20%, one-fifth. Every year, put away 20%, because it's going to be good. Put away 20% and live on 80% of all the grain. So when the downturn comes, then you have plenty to survive during that time. How many know that's wisdom right there? In other words, he's saying, live on 80. Don't spend everything you get, which is what some people do. They'll get a raise, and they'll spend that. A couple of years later, get another raise, and they'll spend that. And they'll spend every last penny they make. Is that wisdom? Say no. Now, let's glean from Joseph's life as a New Testament believer, and that's what you and I are, New Testament believers. But these things were written as examples for you and I. So what can we draw from this and apply it to our lives as a New Testament believer? Well, let's think now. Okay, he says, Pharaoh, put away 20% of everything, of everything. Okay, let's put away 20%. Now, New Testament believer, let's cut the 20% in half, and we get two what? Two? Ten, oh, good, you guys went to math in high school. Okay, good. You get 10% and 10%, and then you live on 80. Correct? Correct? Okay, as a New Testament believer, the first tenth, the tithe, that's what I'm to give to God. Amen? Amen. Now, for some of you, the thought of giving 10% to God as a follower of Christ is shocking. And I know for some it used to be. But how many in this room know by experience now, because this is what you do, because it says to do it, because Jesus even told the Pharisees, Matthew 23, 23, you're tithing and you're doing right. How many of you from experience know that you cannot outgive God? Raise your hand. I want to know. I want to know. You cannot outgive God. And God will never be in debt to you. And, 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 and I've had to counsel people on this over the years. Don't say, well, I tried tithing for two months and it didn't work. Okay, it's not a two-month plan, okay? It's your whole life. Because God owns everything, does he not? Well, Jim, I earned it. Oh, really? Did you create oxygen and your lungs to coexist with each other? Did you create your brain with a mind to think? You didn't do any of that. God did. He gave you all the ability. Deuteronomy 8, God gave you the ability to create wealth. Never think that you're doing anything. You're not keeping the earth rotating, are you? I haven't checked anybody this morning who's done that, Okay. Okay, now, so you give God your 10%. You cannot outgive God. And you keep tithing because tithing is a crop. Follow me? If you stop throwing out the seed, then the crop stops coming, correct? But if you keep throwing the seed, throwing the seed, pretty soon the crops get better and better and better. And it doesn't always come back to you in many. How many know that? It comes back in so many other different blessings that you thank God for in your life. And you become a very thankful person. Many people have things to be thankful for, but they have no one to be thankful to. We have someone to be thankful to. Amen to that one? We're not walking around as orphans. We know our God. Now, you give the 10%, and I hope you start doing that as a follower of Christ. I've been doing it 42 years. Never, never has God let me down. And we've gone through lean times in our family, especially starting the church with nothing. Now, but there's another 10% of the 20%. Amen? So what do we do with that? Save it. Put it away. Put it away. Save it. Put it away. And then it starts to accrue over time, correct? Correct. 
Live on 80% of your income. Now, the question is, why? Why do that? Let's go back to what I said at Is there a future? Do you want to get to a better future? Do you want to get to a good future? 40% of Americans, when they die, have less than $15,000 to their name. I don't want you to be that person. That's a shocking statement, isn't it? It's a factual statement. I want you to live your best life in your late life. You got to put things away. I listened to the real economists in our nation. One of them said this, and it's so true. I never thought of it. It's so true. In your 20s and 30s, you don't have a lot of money. But if you do right with your money as you go along and live right in your 50s and 60s, you got a pretty good amount of money, huh? Right? Because people in their 50s and 60s have the money now. And that's okay because when we were in our 20s and 30s, we didn't have the money. But you play it right. And then when your kids move out, then you really got money. <laughs> and that's when you get like a big boatload of $10 bills, put them in the tub. You don't even bathe with water anymore. You bathe with $10 bills. Because <laughs> it's so great, right? Now, here's the reason why you want to save. And, 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 you want to save and put things away. Because... Now, I came home from vacation yesterday. Now, I'm driving the freeway, coming down 395. Love the high Sierras. Love the high Sierras. Love the high Sierras since I was 18 years old. Went on my first trip to them out of the blue, and I've been in love with the high Sierras ever since. I'm a backpacker. Um, so I'm driving down 395, my, one of my favorite drives in all the world. I have to stop. Before I take the 15 home, i got to stop at Freddy's Steak Burgers. Okay, that's just, I have to. And because the jalapeno sauce and my mouth is watering, and it's just what it is. I get on the 15, and how many know there's a lot of construction going on in Southern Cal? Yeah, on the freeways, okay. So I'm driving home, and along the, I'm in the fast lane because, you know, <laughs> type A, I gotta get home. How many know what I mean, right? So, and they have those cement barriers on the side of me for like a lot of miles. And I'm right there, and my wife, does not enjoy me driving next to the barrier, especially if a big truck comes alongside me. She feels like, we're, that's it, it's over. We're going to die now. And I'm just like, mm, I'm just, I'm gonna plow through, man. I don't care how big that diesel is, you know, but I'm, no, I don't do that. Um, that's exaggeration and hyperbole and everything that goes with that. And so, but then have you noticed sometimes on the freeways today as they're fixing them and redoing them, you could be driving along in it fast, and then your lane separates from everybody else. Have you noticed that? And you've got the cement barriers on each side. Has anyone been in that? And then you feel like, I've just entered into the twilight zone. You know, <laughs> there's another world. And then the cement barriers on each side, man, my wife would be freaking out in that lane. You know, and my wife, she's not going to drive. I look over and she's <laughs> You know, she's out on lunch, or she's reading, or she's on, it's like, it's a tough life, ain't it, babe? You know, but, and I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking, okay. So, the thing with, with cement barriers on each side, or a cement barrier in a truck is, do you have any margin for error? Oh, no. You better not make a mistake, because there is very little breathing room on both sides. Why do we put away and save 10% of our income. Margin. Create space. Create more space. Why? Have you checked the cost of four tires lately? Has anyone checked that out? I had to put four tires on my truck a month and a half ago. I almost fell over. I could not believe how much it cost. How, what happens then when you have to get tires? Or the washer is done. Have you had to put a, a hot water heater in lately? They used to cost $130. I remember when I was younger, they're like $1,030 now. I mean, things are really up there, right? And I don't even want to talk about the gas pumps. But see, when something goes bad in your life, if you have no margin, then instead of paying for that directly, what do you have to do? Put it on what? Credit card. Oh, and then if you go on credit card, let me educate you. If you go on credit card, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but I'm trying to open your eyes, and you pay the minimum on that credit card, if I remember right, it'll take you 20 years to pay that card off. 20 years 
of interest, 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 interest. And the credit card companies will love you and me. So you want to save. You want to do that. Now, I know right now, husband and wife, one of you wants to spend and one of you wants to save. Am I right? And that couple, couples, would you stand up? And you're, no, I'm, I don't want to see you. I, I don't want to know. But typically, there are some like that. So you got to find your middle ground. you got to look at God's word and say, God's word is my guiding light, not what I feel, not what I think, not what I want. Because one of you would like to save every penny and never even order a pizza. Am I right? And the other one says, pizza? Oh, we're going out to that restaurant over there, buddy. Et cetera, et cetera. So, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. <clears throat> I know that prices are high right now. I know inflation's out of control. How many lived in the early 80s? Anybody remember that? I remember it. Things were out of control back then. Do you remember interest rates on homes back then? 18, 19, 20%. Anyone remember that? It was insane. But things flowed up and down, guys. They flowed up and down. So Joseph is putting... And this is, I'm trying to help you. Because somebody's saying, I can't put the, do this 80% thing. Joseph is told, uh, knows that during the upturn of the economy... Put away 10%. Live on 80. Things are good. Don't spend everything you get because economies go up and economies go down. Your health is good. God's good. You could lose your health. could go down. Always be ready for, always put margin in there so you're not rubbing against the cement rails all the time. Does that make sense? Okay, good, good. So we glean that from Joseph. What's the next thing that wisdom that we get from Joseph is be wise with your children. Now, watch verse 50, 51, 52. Watch Joseph now. <clears throat> um, it says, uh, Now before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, remember on TV? How many remember on TV? That just means you and I are older, okay? That was like the first cable stuff we ever had coming in. Um, uh, Potiphar, a priest of Onboardum, verse 51. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. He named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Uh, and we'll stop right there. Now, here's what I want to tell you. Because this is really cool, I think. Now, <clears throat> Joseph is living in Egypt, is he not? What ethnicity is Joseph? Louder? Did you notice I didn't say race? Because to say he's a different race is a lie. And what they tell you right now, oh, that race, this race, it's a lie. It's not biologically true. It's not biblically true. There's one race, the human race. Acts 17, 26, we all came from Adam and Eve. Do you got that? You got that. Okay, good. Every one of us, believe it or not, has brown skin. Did you know that? That's called melanin. Every one of us. It's just some of us are able to collect more melanin than others in our skin. That's all. But everybody's got brown because melanin is brown. We're all the same. Every one of us. Every one. So I didn't say race. I said ethnicities. So never forget that. And I can prove it to you biblically. But they're telling you out in the world it's completely off. It's wrong. And all that does is divide us instead of unite us. And never forget that. Never forget that. Okay. So he's a Hebrew living in Egypt. And uh, while he's there, um, and this Egypt is polytheistic, meaning many gods. They believe in many gods. He's a Hebrew. He believes in how many gods? One, Yahweh. And by the way, polytheism, multiple gods, it's easily disproven. I was reading this and I thought, that's so true. I never thought about that. When you live in a world that has many gods like Egypt or Babylon and those things, um, what, what it is is this God has something this God doesn't have, and this God has something this God doesn't have, this God has something that God doesn't have. So in other words, every one of these polytheistic gods and this polytheistic whatever, um, they, each one is lacking something. So a perfect, infinite God can be lacking something? Is that true? No, it cannot, can it? So therefore, in a polytheistic world, well, polytheism is untrue because they're all lacking something. Therefore, they cannot be an infinite God. Only a one God system like uh, Christianity, Judaism, or, or Islam, and I can prove to you, but I'm not going to do that today, which one is true, which is Christianity. 
But only that can be a true system where there's only one God. And that's just a free one. You could tithe twice on that if you want to. That's okay. Anyway. <laughs> so um, I just like to say stuff, okay? So, okay, so Joseph's there. He's got his kids. And what does he name his kids? Question, Egyptian names or Hebrew names? Hebrew names. Gives them Hebrew names. That is so telling. That should jump off the page at you. Because they're living in a polytheistic culture that's ramming them with all these lies and all these things. And he says, no, I'm going to raise my kids Hebrew to know the one God and what the one God's word says. It's no different than when Daniel and the gang were deported to Babylon around 602 B.C. They take them there, Daniel and the three other guys, remember the fiery furnace? And it says they re-educated them in the literature and the language of the Babylonians. That happens all the time, guys. Happens all the time. A re-education of people away from the word of God. I'm going to show you some stuff right now in scripture. Now, so Daniel decides, I'm going to raise my kids in a polytheistic, non-Yahweh world. I'm going to raise them to know Yahweh God, the only God. Manasseh, Ephraim, these are your names. And you're going to know God. Let me show you what this is all about. This is just one thread of many ways to be wise with your children. <laughs> Psalm 11.3. David says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? It's a great statement, isn't it? 3,000 years ago, the foundations... Our foundation is God's word and who God is, right? I'm raising kids. Now I'm raising, I got grandkids. So for me, it's even bigger now. Because, you know, your kids are the guinea pigs that you tried to experiment with. Oh. <laughs> grandkids, a different story. Nathan told me, he goes, do you, you love these kids more than us? I go, anybody? I don't feel bad about that either. And I've said this before, how many of you can't find your grandparents, you can't find your wife, look in the children's section, am I right? She's, Olivia's lost, I already know where she's at. Okay. Olivia, please quit spending money in the children. No, I'm just... <laughs> okay, so the foundations. What's the foundation? Well, let's go back, let the Bible interpret the Bible. Genesis 3.5. Let's go back to Eve, Adam and Eve, the serpent. One of the statements and the key statement of all the lies that the serpent lays on Eve and the lies we see today again that try to destroy the word of God is the absolute truth. And yet Jesus said in that great prayer in John 17, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The serpent says, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open. In other words, Eve, you'll have a spiritual awakening. You'll be enlightened. It'll be a spiritual upward pattern. Was it? No, it's always a downward pattern with the world, culture, etc. When it goes against scripture. Your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now here's what the serpent's saying. Don't miss it, parents. He says, Eve, if you disobey God, go against God, because God's lying to you anyway. And eat that fruit. You're going to become a... A God, and you will decide what? What is good and what is evil, right? That's what he's telling her, right? Wow. That's, we call that today humanism. Man is salvation. Man knows the way. Man has the answers. Man, whatever he feels, whatever he thinks, that's what it is. Without any platform for wisdom whatsoever, we have a platform called the Word of God. Amen? He says, You'll be a God. Wait a minute. What is he attacking? The foundation. If the foundations be destroyed, what will the righteous do? What's the foundation serpents attacking? That God is the God of our life. Amen? And that's what he's attacking. Let's move the foundation from God is the God of our life to now you and I are the God of our life. You see what he's doing? Do you see what he's doing? And this is the attack even on our children. They didn't believe that at a young age. That's why bringing kids upright is so important. Now, 
Let me read in Romans about nine verses, chapter one. We've covered this before, great verses. And I'm going to show you how Paul, 2,000 years ago, ties into Adam and Eve of 6,000 years ago. And what he says, it's the same stuff, but he's, now he's going to give you, I'm not going to play off the results, but oh, I'm going to read them. But watch this. I want to catch foundation, what it is. It says, and exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible. Oh, we exchange God for ourselves. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? And of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. You see all over the world, they, they worship all kinds of created things by God. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Here comes the consequences when I reject God. Eve, you'll be a God. Jim, you'll be a God. Let's change the foundation. We don't need God as our foundation. We don't need the word. I'm the shot caller. I deify my opinions. I decide what's right and wrong, not the word of God. You know, I love the word. Let me tell you one of the reasons I love the word of God so much. There's multiple reasons. Because I have a foundation I can debate on. Everybody else is just going to give me what they feel and think. I can open up a page and say, well, it says this here, and I can show you how this thing is accurate, correct. So, verse 25. For they exchanged the truth of God for a, a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. There's foundational exchange right there, right? Who is blessed forever, Amen. Now watch consequence to all this. When man makes himself God, when the foundations are switched, Eve, you'll be a God. We don't teach our kids that God is God, then they're not God. Here's the, the results, and you're going you're to see it today. And this is 2,000 years ago writing. So this is nothing new in history, what we're seeing today. This has been around every time people move away from God. Watch. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. That is so clear. I don't know how anybody can't get that one. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, in other words, I don't need God, I'm God. I make calls. God gave them over to a depraved mind. Stop, depraved mind? Yeah, that's the idea of, of mineral, a mineral you get, but it's filled with so much impurity, you can't even do anything with that thing. It's a waste of time. That's a depraved mind. So much impurity in it. To do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips. And don't think we're not in that bunch, guys. Slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. See, we don't like that other part. We just harp on the first part. They're all bad. And we could be practicing all the other stuff. Now watch this. This is the kicker of kickers. And although they know the ordinance of God, know, you know it, Ginasco, to know, that those who practice such things, what things? The things we just talked about, he says are worthy of death, meaning separation from God. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Okay, follower of Christ. You can't follow the culture. It says, even if you approve of those things, oh, it's not bad, it's not wrong. You just, you just did yourself in. You just went against God's word. You can't approve of those things. Now, just a real quick side note, and then I'm going to hit what I want to hit on this. Those things that we read there today, and you can come and debate me all you want afterwards, I guarantee you. It's true. You know today that's considered hate speech. Am I right? It's hate speech. But is it hate speech? No, that's the term, that's the new cliche these days to shut us up. That's all it's, it's all it's for. They have no foundation for what they believe. They have none. They don't. And I mean, the culture, different people with 
non-scriptural beliefs that go way off in those areas. But here's what I would say, and I, I think I shared this in one of the two, I think Dan, I shared this on a Tuesday night, I think. Here's how you take these things and use your wisdom when they say, oh, you're just a hater, you hate this. When you say these things, take it, put it in another sphere or influence or arena and see if it works. For instance, here's what I would do. If somebody says, you're a hater, you're, it's hate speech. I say, okay, wait. Let's pretend you have kids. And I said, do you have kids? Like, well, yeah, I have kids. Like, hmm. Your kids ever do something um, that you knew was wrong? Oh, yeah. Did you tell them, stop doing that? You're wrong. You shouldn't be doing it. you ever tell? Well, yeah. I go, hmm. Question. Did you tell them that because you hate them or because you love them? You see how you move it to a different arena? And now, now you can really extract the wisdom. No, I'm not a hater, I'm a lover. And God's word says your highest way of living is this way. And I say these things because I just love people. Now you could say I'm a hater, but I'm not. I love people. Now, here's what I want to get to. Just taking the one vein of thought, foundations. The foundation that we should raising up our, be raising up our kids in, just like Joseph, gives them Hebrew names in the midst of a polytheistic, multi-God culture, is you've got to make sure that your children know that Yahweh got God. Jesus Christ is the only God, and they're not God themselves. Amen? That's big. So therefore, parents, you've got to bring them up in the ways of God. And I mean from the get-go. And I mean you can't say, that. well, we're going to take a five-year break from church with the kids. Dad, you just messed up right there. You lost it. I was a student ministries pastor, so don't tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. I was five and a half years a student ministries pastor. And I saw certain things that happened, consistencies, and it, it, it leaves a, a mental impression that when a child, their make or break time, if they're going to follow Christ in life or leave Jesus for 20 years or whatever, is age 14, 15. I watched it. And if you're not raising them up in the ways of God, in a fellowship, in other, come on, man. You're running a risk right there. And if you yourself are not studying the word of God, if your children are not seeing that you're coming and you're not worshiping with others and you're not doing that, why would they think that's important? Why? Tell me why. It doesn't make sense if the Bible says, come together, do not forsake the assembly together as the habit of some, worship God, come and serve. If it says it over and over again, how is it that you and I can say, well, I just think this and this. Okay, Eve, you're Eve now. And the foundation has been split and, and moved. And God is not the foundation anymore. You've got to show your kids right. For me now, it's my grandkids. I want them to know that their granddaddy was a worshiper of God. I want them to know the scriptures. And I'm going to teach them those scriptures. You've got to learn those scriptures. You've got to grow in the scriptures. It's a responsibility we have studied to show yourself approved a workman unto God who needs not be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. We're called to do that to raise those kids right in the midst of a culture that is moving away and away and away from God. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, let me give you the last thing. What's my last thing? Oh, yeah. Be wise with your heart. Now, here's another great thing about Joseph, and I love Joseph's story. Be wise with your heart. Now, let's back up again to verse 51. I'll read 51 to 57. Watch this. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. He named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. When the seven years of plenty, which had been in the land of Egypt, came to an end, the economy was zooming. And then 2009 hit. Anyone remember? That was a wild time, wasn't it? <laughs> and the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said. Then there was famine in all the lands. All the lands. But in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. What a great statement. Everyone's suffering but Joseph, where he's at. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, you shall do. Stop. What did the mother of Jesus tell the servants at the wedding of Cana? Whatever he says to you, 
do it. So now you see typology again. Another picture of Jesus Christ. Verse 56. When the famine was spread over the face of the earth, then Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. The people of the people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. Oh, man. Okay. <clears throat> Joseph has two kids. He names one Ephraim, which means God has made me fruitful in the land of my pain and affliction. He names Manasseh, Manasseh, and that means, listen, God, now that I have family, I have kids, I have position, I have power, I have possessions, you have made me forget all my troubles with my family and what they did to me. Is that true? A statement like that has to be tested, right? And it will be tested. It says the famine's over the whole earth. Who's part of the whole earth? His family, his brothers. Guess where they have to come to? Joseph. They gotta come buy food from Joseph. In fact, in the next chapter, which we won't go into, the next week we'll look at it, it's funny. The dad looks at the brothers, the, and he says, and there's a famine in the whole land, he goes, what are you looking at each other for? Get up and go buy food in Egypt. And so they have to come to Joseph. They don't know their brother's alive. We'll see that all next week. The story just, it amps up, man. So they come to buy. And the question is, has God really allowed him to forget everything because he's got kids and a wife? Has he really forgotten? In other words, the real question is, does Joseph have any unforgiveness, anger, bitterness, pain of the past from what people have done? Is there anything still in there? Or is it really... God has made me forget all my problems. Well, let's see. Because it takes a test to see. Let's jump two chapters. Now, by the, what I'm going to read now, you've got to remember that they've come to Joseph. Joseph has accused them of spies. This is all next week. He said, I didn't bring young Benny because dad said, don't take Benny because Benny's Joseph's full-blood brother and he don't want to lose Benny. And, they, and Joseph, because they don't know who he is, he looks Egyptian, he's clean-shaven, he walks sideways, he's got the music playing, he's got the whole thing. He walked like an Egyptian playing in the background, he's like, oh, God. And so, you go back, because he wants to know that Benny's alive. And they bring Benny back. And watch what happens when Joseph finally sees Benny and the whole, all his brothers there. Watch verse 29 there. Let's see if he really, really doesn't have any pain from the past. Verse 29. As he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin. Guys, look at me. It's been 20 years. 20 years since he's seen him. His mother's son, because they're full blood brothers. Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? He's speaking to them. And he said, may God be gracious to you, my son. Joseph hurried out, for he was deeply stirred over his brother. And he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber. And he wept there. Is the pain gone? No. Joseph will have to deal with unforgiveness, possibly, bitterness, possibly, anger, emotional pain from what they did to him 20 years ago. 13 years in prison because of them or as a slave then in prison and in two weeks we'll see what Joseph does but all the pain's still there because you could say I, I have a son he's made me forget all my pain it doesn't go away like that you know why because unforgiveness and anger and bitterness and pain from the past that's a root it's a deep root John the Baptist said the axe is laid at the root of every tree the writer of Hebrews, whom we do not know who that is, he records in Hebrews 12, 15, let no root of bitterness therefore rise up and defile the many. See, 
when it comes to roots, has anyone ever had to take a tree out of your yard? You can cut it at the base, but then it takes violence to get the root out, right? You, have that, you ever seen that stump grinder come in? It's insane. I'd like to run it sometime. They won't let me. But it's violent to take that root out. Otherwise, that thing's going to grow back. That's the same thing he sings in our life. We could say, oh, I have a good life now. It made me forget. Really? Let's take a test. Let's take a test. And Joseph starts crying. He can't take it. See, bitterness, unforgiveness, no root of bitterness rising up defiles many. You think, it doesn't affect anyone, my bitterness. Okay, you know that I had to put my boy, my dog, Max, down three months ago. It's just, that's a brutal thing to do. Oh, it's tough. How many know that feeling? It's terrible. It's terrible. I came in, they worked the next day. They said, just go home. I must have looked terrible. I had him for over 14 years. He was almost 15. But I used to love to give my boy a bath in the bathtub. And you know when he's younger, he's trying to jump out of the bathtub, right? And then when he got older, he'd be in the bathroom like, this is pretty cool. It's like a jacuzzi. He thought he was a club med or something. So I give him a bath. And of course, you know, when you drain that water out of the tub, and it's like brown. What does your dog want to do instantly? Shake. What's a shake? What's a shake? Shake, shake, shake. Do, 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 shake, shake. No, I'm just, don't, don't, don't take that one to the bank, okay? But he wants to shake that water everywhere. So we have these big old towels that says, Olivia writes rag on there so I don't dry myself with them, okay? We kept them out of, they kept in a box in the garage. These are just rags. And I would put it on top of Max before he shakes. And I'd pull him out, and I'd be drying him off. And if I pull that towel off a bit, he's going to shake. And i got to put it back on. He's going to shake. And once he shakes, he's going to be everywhere in that bathroom. That's what unforgiveness and bitterness and anger and pain, all these things from past, these deep roots, that's what they do. They shake all over everybody. Look, uh, uh, let me say this to myself. We can lie to ourselves and say, my anger and forgiveness, bitterness, it doesn't affect anybody. Pain, it doesn't affect. Yes, it does. It affects people all around you. You're just passing it on. It's a root that grows fruit, and people eat that fruit. You don't realize you're eating the fruit, and you're passing it on. There's only one thing to get that out. See, I would put the towel over my dog, my boy, Max, and let's think of it like this. When Adam and Eve sin, what God does instantly to resolve the situation, God kills an animal and he takes the, the animal skins, remember that? And he covers them. Is that a permanent fix or a temporary fix? It's temporary. It doesn't resolve sin. But it's a cover. He covers me. He atones. He covers. I would cover Max. But when God says to fix the sin problem, to fix all those things in us, it's going to take something brutal, something violent, like a spiritual stump grinder to get the root out, right? And that's the cross of Jesus Christ. That was brutal. That's a spiritual stump grinder. That's grinding away. That's the blood of Jesus. And that doesn't cover sin. That cleanses sin away. It cleanses and allows us to say, thank you for forgiving me. I forgive so-and-so. I forgive so-and-so. I'm relieved of bitterness. I don't have to walk around angry. Uh, what they did to me in the past, I can forgive and let go. I can do those things because you've forgiven me of so much. That's the spiritual stump grinder of the cross. And that's the only way to get rid of it. Otherwise, in my experience in talking to people over 40 years, all we do is transfer that anger and bitterness to other places. Why do you get angry at different places? Why are you so consistent in that? Because you're just transferring it. That's all you're doing. That's all you're doing. Why is it that people are, seem to be distant from you? What is it? You like? Well, I like that. Well, you shouldn't. You're sending off images and you're sending off stuff. You should be a person that people like to come to. But God can relieve you of that. Look, look. There's no sense in going through life angry and unforgiving and bitter. No sense in it. When you have the blood of Jesus and the cross to free you to free you. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to close your eyes and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray. God, I, I, I just pray, Lord, because these things like bitterness and anger, they, they creep in so easily. 
pain from the past, it can start a root, and roots get deeper and deeper and wider and wider, and the tree gets bigger and bigger. Nobody wants to go through life like that. I don't think. But friend, if you're a follower of Christ, this is my first thing, and you're holding unforgiveness towards somebody, be honest. Or you're bitter towards somebody. Or you're just an angry person. Meaning, you get, you're irritable and impatient very quickly and consistently. That's the definition of the angry person. Not that you get angry, you're always angry, and whatever little thing you don't like or disagree with, you just get irritable and impatient with people. That's an angry person. It's a better definition to understand it. Maybe there's pain from what somebody did to you in the past, or they broke your heart, or they walked away from you, or they ripped you off of this, or they humiliated you, or a parent that left when you were young. Or it could be, it's a, it's a plethora of things. Forgive. Because you want to be a new creation. Because that's not allowing you to be a new creation in Christ. And what that's doing, it's you're shifting foundations to, instead of God is God, I'm God. And I'm going to call the shot on this area. Well, there's no life there, friend. So I would encourage you, forgive. Right now, just under your breath, whoever they are, don't, don't bring it out loud. Just lip sync it and say, I forgive, and say their name. Do it right now. Come on, do it right now. And then do it again tonight at bed. And do it again tomorrow. And do it again next week. Why, Jim? Because you're puking out all the junk of your soul. You're going to vomit all that stuff up until there's nothing left of that anymore. I'm not saying you won't remember but I am saying the emotional connection will lessen and lessen till it's gone because you've allowed the blood of Jesus in forgiveness to violently stop grind those things out. And there's power in the blood. And if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ, you're not a born-again Christian, you've never allowed the pulverizing power of the cross to cleanse away your sins and, to, and, to, and shifted your foundation from you being the shot caller to God and his word being the shot caller. Maybe today's the day to come to the love of God. Let your eyes open up now. Let the spirit of God come to live in you. You know, New Testament writer Paul, who hated Christians and then became a Christian because Jesus revealed himself to him, resurrected, he writes, if I confess with my mouth Jesus Christ is Lord, and I believe in my heart God raised him from the dead, then I'll be saved. And that's maybe what you need to do now and follow Christ for the rest of your life. The one who loves you, the one who died for you, the creator of it all. If you'd like to put your faith in Christ and become a follower of Christ today, great. Or if you backslid and you want to come back to Christ, it's time now. You know it's time. And to follow him for the rest of your life, great. So if you'd like to place your faith in Christ or rededicate your life, I want you to do this first simple thing. I want you to open up your eyes and look up at me. And I'm going to look around the room. And when our eyes meet, I'll say something like, God bless you, or yes, or something like that. And then you can close your eyes, okay? But open your eyes now and let me look across the room. God bless you. 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 And you. God bless you. Yes. Now, I'm going to say a prayer. And those who looked up at me, you're going to repeat it out loud with me. And everyone's going to say it with you. You're simply going to put your faith in Jesus Christ as the God, the only God, as the one who came down and went to the cross because you and I sinned, which causes death, separation from God. And so his payment was his life, death. And he 
shed his blood to forgive us of our sins. And we needed that because sin cannot enter into heaven. We had to be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead to give us the power of new life, to walk in a new life. It's that simple. So let's say this prayer out loud. Everyone looked up at me, say it, and you put your faith in Jesus. And the Spirit of God's going to come in you, and every one of your sins that's ever been committed by you is forgiven and washed away. Here we go. Repeat after me. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much. Even when I didn't want you, you died for me. You shed your blood for me to pulverize my sin. Forgive me of my sins. And I know I'm forgiven of everything. I invite you into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my only God, the foundation of my life. I promise to follow you for the rest of my days into eternity. Let me pray. God, I pray for everyone who looked up. Friends, now you follow up. This is a relationship you've entered into with Jesus Christ. Now you follow up for the rest of your life. You become a worshiper of God. Become a student of the Word, the Bible, which is a collection of 66 books inspired by God. You begin to live for Him. You do the things in Scripture that make for spiritual growth. And you make God the foundation of your life and nothing else, not even yourself. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And all of heaven rejoices. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen, amen and amen. Stand up with me, everybody. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco. Or email us at hello at nbcc.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.